Anonymous Was a Woman was recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Jamila and Astrid and the team pay their respects to elders past, present and emerging. We note that this land was stolen and never ceded. Hello and welcome back to Anonymous Was a Woman. My name is Jamila Rizvi and I'm joined by the highly determined Astrid Edwards and I'm going to keep putting in terrible little hints and puns about what's coming up now because our theme this week is indeed determination. Astrid, are you feeling determined? When do you feel determined? I am feeling determined and I feel determined when I sit down with a book and I know I'm going to finish it in one go and it makes me so happy. I knew you were going to say that, not because we did any prep, because I know you well enough to know that you were going to say that. I definitely feel determined when I'm in my routine to write. I reckon that's when I do feel most focused when I've got a deadline, when a column is due at 4pm and I sit down at a coffee shop back when we were allowed to go to coffee shops and I sit down and I have my coffee and I open my laptop and I sit there and think this is going to be good. You are so practically determined. What I do is I sit down and because I'm slightly older than you, I handwrite my to-do list and then I carry around my to-do list thinking that, yes, I am determined to get everything done. And even if I don't, and that happens a lot, especially in lockdown, I still bask in my feeling of determination because I have written a list. I think lists are a good thing. I actually had a moment the other day where I finished something I thought was on my list and was really proud of myself for having completed it early when, and it wasn't on the list. And it was like, why did I even bother? What was the point of doing it? Did it even really happen? Let's get into this. Let's start talking about books and determination, characters and determination, and the determined authors who write them. I am so excited to introduce you to The Mother Fault by Kate Mildenhall. This is a new one for me. I haven't read it yet. Sell it to me. It is a new one for you because it literally came out last week. I am extremely thrilled because, Jam, you now have to listen to me talk about a dystopian literary thriller for like the next 10 minutes. I am determined that you read this book. Okay. I can see your face on Zoom and you are so not impressed with me right now. Let me sell it to you. This is the fictional story of an Australian mother who is determined to do whatever, and I mean whatever, it takes to keep her two children safe. Surely you have to get on board with that. Okay, I'm into that. What's she going to do? Is it good? It is exceptional. Now, I sat down to read this and even though I love finishing books in one go, this was one that... I knew I just, I was just going to stuff up the rest of my day and I was just going to read it because it's gripping. This is just a brilliant read. It is new contemporary fiction in Australia written by a female author and it gets me really excited. Now, Jen, I know that you love The Handmaid's Tale and The Testaments and this is really in that tradition. It is speculative fiction, but it's speculative fiction in the way that Margaret Atwood is speculative fiction. So, you know, there's no robots, there's no aliens, there's no space invasion, right? Like it's not fantasy or science fiction it's speculative as in what would you do tomorrow if it all went to shit I think I enjoy that more for me my mind struggles to make the leap into true fantasy perhaps in its purest sense but the idea of a book that is almost giving me a lesson on the present from a potential future that is really exciting to me so what are we getting out of this imagined future and what are the lessons that we draw from it 
Oh, there are so many lessons. The Motherfault is set in our near future. So it kind of feels like Australia in less than 10 years, like right around the corner. And much like now, we have a government in charge. In this book, it's called The Department. And they have total surveillance. And they have total surveillance because a few things happened, not a pandemic, but a few things happened, you know, COVID safe app, and suddenly the government, the department has a little bit more control than they did. Now, the story follows Mim. Mim is a mother of two young kids. She is also a geologist, but she's been out of the workforce for 10 years and she feels a bit awkward about that. So she is kind of a woman trying to figure out her own life and what she wants to do and how she can be happy. And that's a really natural thing for a woman of our age to do. And then suddenly she wakes up one day and her husband has gone missing and the department calls her and suddenly she realises she doesn't know what happened, but she and her children are not safe. And so the question becomes, what will she do to keep her children safe? And how far will she go? Okay, I am into this already. Partly because, and I'm not going to make myself any friends with this comment, but when government talks about the importance of surveillance or greater control for the purpose of law and order, I go against my usually quite lefty sensibilities and I kind of go along with it a little bit. I tend to kind of go, well, okay, good, if it's to keep people safe and do the right thing. And so when people talk about the COVID safe app or they talk about a step further where perhaps there's more surveillance, the enforcement of a curfew in Victoria, for example, I don't push hard back against that. And I've started to wonder if maybe I should. And books like this, I think, are the ones that kind of show those shades of grey that this isn't a goodies and baddies, good guys don't need to be worried situation. (laughs) Everyone needs to be a little bit worried. Absolutely. You, if you're a mum, need to be worried. This is the question. If you want to protect your children and if you want to go save your husband who has done something silly and got himself disappeared, what are you going to do? How far will you go and how determined are you going to be even when that means that you might break the law? And I felt like this book, I just wanted to talk about this book, but I felt like The Mother Fault was really relevant to this episode of Determination because even though it is speculative fiction and it is set in our really near future, this is a story about a character who just sits down and thinks, okay, well, this all went really badly and my one priority will be getting my family back together. What are the steps I need to do to make that happen? I think I understand that moral fight, that idea of there's a lot that I will cop in this world. You know what I mean? There is a lot I will accept. There is change that I will adjust to. Right now, we're living here in Melbourne in a reality we never expected we would live in, but I can cope with that. But you take my husband and child out of the picture and I'm not coping anymore. No, we will have militant jam. And this is the story of militant Mim, who's like, okay, my kid's in danger. I've lost my husband. I'm off. Look, let's face it. The world is a little bit difficult to deal with sometimes. And that is particularly true of 2020. And for Australians, it's probably only going to become more so if we don't sort out our climate and we're not all happy with our leadership. And it's possible that the future will test us. And I find it exciting and invigorating to read a contemporary story written by a woman almost exactly my age, Kate Millen-Hall, about a woman, probably my age, who is totally determined to ace it in a slightly wrecked near future Australia. So one thing you need to know, Jam, is the mother fault. It's set in our near future. And in addition to Australia being a surveillance state, it is also an Australia that is really feeling the impacts of climate change. So obviously after the bushfires that we experienced at the beginning of 2020, which Kate Millenhall is on record as being a real life incident that 
occurred just before going to print where she re-edited some of the near future Australia that she depicts. This is an Australia where there has been sea level rise, parts of Darwin are underwater, the interior of Australia is even hotter and drier than we know it now and that is not the point of the story. The point of the story is Mim and her determination to save her children but this is what our background, the background to our lives might be like in the near future. Now, if it's possible without giving away the conclusion, can I ask whether the author gives a sense of moral determination on what is and what isn't okay? Does she draw a line around what is too far? Look, there is no hard line and my interpretation of the book is very much there are shades of grey and while, of course, there are many instances of what a surveillance state looks like and I think most readers would come down on the side of we don't like a surveillance state and what that implies, there are also, in the course of Mim, our hero, our protagonist, essentially upping and running and breaking the law, there are some people who don't experience good things accidentally as a result of her actions. So there are shades of grey. I always enjoy a book where the narrative leads me to a perhaps magnified version of the moral determinations I make in my life every day because we're all making moral decisions. We're all faced with moral conundrums. They're just usually pretty small scale in our our ordinary day-to-day lives. We're not faced with those great difficult line ball calls where there would be a great debate amongst others about whether or not we did the right thing or whether or not our action in the pursuit of a good caused too much harm for it to be worth it. We don't necessarily have to weigh up that day to day, most citizens at least. And yet right now that feels so pertinent. You know, I look at Dan Andrews and Scott Morrison. I look at conversations about economy versus human life. And then, you know, when you say that simply, I think most people would say, well, human life, but the economy is human life too. I mean, there will be people whose lives are shattered by the economic circumstances our country faces. So I think right now I'm kind of in the mood, kind of in the mood for a book that starts to exercise some of those questions. Well, look, this is a book for the moment. And when we consider our world and our society not turning out exactly how we maybe wished it to, I think that we all know, or I would suspect that the people who listen to this podcast know and assume it's going to be the women who keep the social fabric together. And this book really puts a female right at the centre of that. This is a strong female character. And to be honest, you know, in season one, we talked about who would you have at the end of the world? Well, maybe I'd have Mim because my goodness, she's still standing at the end. And I would also like to say, relevant to an episode about determination, Kate Mildenhall, the author, she just absolutely deserves a shout out. In this book, The Mother Fault, there is a very stressful boat ride from Darwin to an island in Indonesia. And as part of the research for this novel, Kate put herself on a boat and sailed from Darwin to Indonesia. And she is not a sailor, but that's just beautiful and my god that is dedicated and determined author research yeah absolutely talk about determination to depict something in the most honest way possible that's to go and live what your character's going through right well look it's rare that you can do this astrid particularly in genres that are yours and not my preference but i am sold i will report back next week excellent We have a second piece of fiction to discuss today, and it's one that we've both read. Let's get talking about The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. What did you think? 
oh, this was just a book that I sat down and enjoyed. It is such a captivating narrative. I didn't see any of the twists and turns coming. I felt like I was just constantly challenged by the book. And obviously that is the point. That is what Britt Bennett wants readers to think. But damn, it was a good read. Yes, it absolutely is. And it's one of the things I love about Britt Bennett, having really... I think I recommended The Mothers, which was her debut fiction, to everyone I could find. I was very, very excited about her second novel to be published and she absolutely didn't disappoint. So to circle back a little bit, let me give you all an idea of the plot. So it's set in a town in Louisiana called Mallard, which is at the heart of the whole novel. And the town is colourstruck, I think is the best way to describe it. So it was founded to be a town of light-skinned black people. And each successive generation of human beings who live in this town strive to make sure that the next generation that follows them will have lighter skin still. Say it out loud like that and step it the logic through. feels kind of gross, but it also feels a bit eerily familiar for those of us living in Australia where we know the government essentially had a policy of exactly the same thing for a period of our history. Now the drama, the drama and the families come into it when we talk about our central characters. Our central characters are twins who grow up in this town and after they turn 16 they flee the town which was also the site of their father's murder for New Orleans and the book is set in the 50s and 60s. These girls have very limited options but essentially one of them goes on to live her life passing as certainly not a black woman, a white woman or at least a non-black woman and the other one lives her life as perhaps some would say God intended and then I don't want to go further than that because I feel like I'm going to spoil the plot. Can I go any further? Well, we can say that the narrative jumps forward sometimes in time and we do see, I guess, the next generation. So both of these, because we find this out in a blurb, both of these women, one of whom passes for white, have daughters and the consequences of their life choices, including where they live and what parts of their family history they reveal, really starts to impact the daughter's lives. That's right. And one of them has a daughter who is described in the book as blue-black, like she has flown directly from Africa, so a very dark-skinned woman. And the other has a daughter who is blonde with, I think they describe them as eyes so blue they could be purple somewhere in the book or or they could be violet. So you're talking about that generational expectations of that town going in two very divergent ways as well. And I just, Astrid, I just loved this book. I just loved it as a great read. I always love generational dramas, as you know. It had the air of one of those great television dramas about lots and lots and lots of members of one family, but in a far more literary and intelligent kind of understanding of that. And one of the things I really admire about Britt Bennett is how determined she is to give us two things simultaneously and one is just a stellar plot right the kind of book you can't put down because you've got to know what happens and even that setup of the twins and the divergent lives is really captivating but at the same time she doesn't shy away from social and political issues of the time and she doesn't shy away from her very distinct point of view. I know you do love intergenerational sagas, Jam. And of course, in addition to the twins and their daughters, we have their mother. And their mother spends most of her life or her entire life in that little town of Mallard. And she's a woman of a certain generation and has 
a completely different approach to skin colour and a woman's role in the home and a woman's role in a relationship and a woman's role in a community than all of the other strong female leads, shall we say, in this intergenerational saga. And I really enjoyed the intricacies of you know, the differences of opinion and the differences of experience between all of these women. And that's partly reflective of the time in which they were born and how America and international society has and is changing. But also, like, how do you look at your granddaughter and not like the colour of her skin? I think there are also questions around how we understand race and how we understand colour and where the two intersect. You know, I'm an Indian-Australian woman who very much can pass as Indian but can also pass as Middle Eastern, can also pass as Anglo-Australian, can pass as European. I have had people who don't know my name have picked me from being from all corners of the globe, it feels like. And there are unquestionably and for me quite uncomfortably, I know there are privileges that go along with that. And I know that people, the way strangers will interact with me is different to if I looked more like my dad than my mum. That's just a reality. And there's a real sadness to that sometimes. And yet I know it's probably without me ever intending it to benefited me in my life. And I think it's a conversation we have to have more. And this idea of passing to me and the performance of passing is a really fascinating one. And Stella, who's the kind of archetypal passing figure in this book, she is, you know, she's putting on an act a lot of the time. She's acting like she's not a person of colour. And she's acting like a Karen. Oh my God, she is. Why? She called Stella. She should be called Karen. Karen, aka Stella, isn't the only one of Bennett's characters who does that right? To an extent, all of them are acting, all of them are passing in different ways. And I think Bennett does a really lovely job of kind of weaving that all together, but not telling you what to think. She kind of leads the horse to water, but she doesn't force you to do anything. She just presents you with that information in the form of this great narrative and then leaves you leaves you with it. I quite liked it in terms of questioning those ideas of whether or not you can outrun your past, whether you can outrun your family and whether you can outrun your race, that if you are determined enough, can you throw away everything associated with where you've come from and who you were and where you've been? And Britt Bennett's answer seems to be no, no, you can't. (laughs) I think it's a definitive no, but then by holding on to the past, that can be hard and painful as well. I wanted to ask you, Astrid, a little bit about Britt Bennett off the pages of her fiction. I'm not sure if you remember that Britt Bennett wrote an essay almost, I think it would be almost six or seven years ago now, and she wrote this essay for Jezebel and it was called I Don't Know What to Do With Good White People. Do you remember it? I do. It was one of the most shocking and powerful things I'd read at that moment in time. She wrote it in the aftermath of the killing of Michael Brown and also in the aftermath of the killing of Eric Garner. And she talked about in that essay, white people, good white people, and I'm putting quote marks around that, wanting to appear to be angry. It wasn't so much about that righteous anger that you feel deep inside. It was wanting other people to see that anger. So in a sense, performative anger. And I got the sense after reading The Vanishing Half that Britt Bennett has a real interest in this idea of performance, particularly around race. Oh, I would completely agree. All of the characters in this book 
are aware of how their race and how their appearance changes every social interaction that they have. And for Stella, the character who constructs an entire life passing as a very wealthy white woman because she married a very, very boring rich white man who apparently doesn't care that she has no past. Uh, my goodness, I didn't quite understand that relationship, but nevertheless. you got to ask some questions about who your partner was before they met you, right? Yeah, I mean, literally, she was the secretary who married her boss and the boss never asked any questions, and I think that tells us a whole lot about patriarchy. But going back to Stella, as a woman who is passing as white, fears that she will be found out, and as a result, she gets a reputation of being a racist and she is actively, well, she's actively racist, which makes her very uncomfortable on the inside, but that doesn't change any of her actions. Like she is a kind of a horrible human being, but because we are occupying her internal self and we know why she's doing it, it's a very fascinated and complicated and nuanced depiction of a character. And I think you're 100% right. It's that vantage point as the reader that you get of being able to see the difference between her projected self and her inner self or authentic self, whatever you want to call it. That's what's so fascinating. I mean, that's where the drama is for the reader of this novel. I wanted to end, if it's okay with you, Astrid, with a quote from Bennett from that 2014 essay about not knowing what to do with good white people, because I think it's relevant to what we've been talking about today and she says over the past two weeks I've seen good white people congratulate themselves for deleting racist friends or debating family members or performing small acts of kindness to black people sometimes I think I'd prefer racist trolling to this grade of self-aggrandizement a racist troll is easy to dismiss he does not think decency is enough sometimes I think good white people expect to be rewarded for their decency. And if that is not the determination of a young woman who is going to go on to be a best-selling worldwide novelist, I don't know what is. So, Jan, it is now time for recommendations. Bring it on. So I am sticking with the theory that determined women are going to be the ones to save us all in any near future calamity. And I actually want to go back to one of the first episodes of Anonymous Was a Woman in season one, where I briefly recommended two books. I am bringing them back because I think that these two books are the perfect complement to read with Kate Millenhall's The Mother Fault. I am absolutely here for this. If a recommendation is so good that you've got to bring it twice, well, then it's something we should have read. Go ahead. Absolutely coming back. So there's this interesting thing happening in Australian literature at the moment. Literary fiction, like truly great novels, are being written by Australian women with female characters facing environmental destruction and having to save their families. And look, I know it's kind of dark and I know that, you know, Jam, you might roll your eyes at me, but these are also hopeful books because these women succeed. So they are ultimately uplifting whilst taking into account some very unfortunate realities. So as perfect compliments to Kate Millenhall's The Mother Fault, I want to go back and recommend Lucy Trelaw's Wolf Island and Alice Robinson's The Glad Shot. All of these books involve a strong female lead and mother who is determined to save their family and or their community or just everybody against bad other people. And let's face it, narrative tension, there has to be some bad other people in the face of changing politics and an uncertain and dangerous climate crisis. 
So I think it's actually really healthy for us to all read these books to celebrate the fact that women are going to save us all, but also as kind of like a psychological way of coming to terms with some of the changes that we might see in this decade that we really don't want to see, but are likely to happen. And Jem, this is my master plan for making you read speculative fiction. All right. I feel like I'm walking away with a lot of homework, but it sounds like it's going to be joyful homework. And if it's not, I blame you. (laughs) I'll take that. I am also going to jump in with one recommendation that I've made before. Talking about determination, I just couldn't go past Know My Name by Chanel Miller, which I believe we also discussed in season one. But I think this speaks to the fact that 2020 is the longest year in the history of the world. And so season one feels like it was an awfully long time ago. So I'm going again too. Know My Name is transformative. I really think it will shift the way you think about sexual assault and rape. It will mean that you don't use words and phrases like the line ever again or ask questions about what a woman was wearing. It it challenges beliefs about what's acceptable in relationships and it also I think gives enormous power to women who speak truth about the sexual assaults committed against them, who speak truth about their survivalship but also about the reality of healing and what healing really is, which is painful and awful and up and down again and not linear in any way. So I want to recommend Know My Name by Chanel Miller. And I also, as an aside, recommend following her on Instagram because she is also an artist and she's just delightful as an artist, as well as being such a compelling writer. And in a slightly tangential recommendation, there is a new book that came out earlier this month called The Space Between, which is by Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald, who are the two women behind the Shameless podcast, which has become enormously popular here in Australia. And sadly, Astrid, I think perhaps aimed at women slightly younger than you and I, who are, of course, incredibly young as it is. We are aging out of the shameless demographic, but that is okay. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that their work is any less. In fact, I often listen to it and really enjoy the podcast, but feel slightly like I'm that old lady at the party. (laughs) I I know I don't quite belong, but in that book, which kind of looks at the messy chaos of being in your 20s, Michelle, who's one of the authors, speaks for the first and what she says will be the only time about her rape and what happened to her. And uh, she also spoke about it on a podcast with Zara and has since said she will not take an interview on it. There are a number of women in my life who have experienced sexual assault and rape. And I sent a copy of that book or referred them to that podcast almost immediately because Michelle speaks with rawness and an honesty, especially about the language she used about what happened to her and how it changed over time, how she began with sort of softer ways of saying what happened using phrases like oh he took advantage of me because she wasn't ready yet to admit that a crime had been committed against her and I think it was really delicately and intelligently written and I really recommend that book if there's a woman in your life particularly a woman in her 20s who is navigating that messy time this book is uplifting and joyful as well as sad and difficult and for me I couldn't go past the idea of determination and the theme of determination without talking to the Me Too movement and the determination of women particularly the last few years to be seen and to be heard and to call to account 
the men who commit these kinds of assaults. Jam, I read Chanel Miller's work, Know My Name, after you recommended it in season one, and I am definitely going to pick up this new work too. Friends, that's about all we've got time for today to discuss determination. But are we determined to discuss it more? Yes, we are. In just a few days, we will be joined by one of Astrid and my favourite authors, Australia's own Maxine Benaber clark who is a tremendous writer of fiction and also of poetry. She writes for children and she writes for adults. We very much struggle in that episode to only speak to her for an episode. I think we would have tried to kind of keep her hanging out with us for 24 hours if we'd been able to wrangle it. Thankfully, Maxine had better things to do. But folks, you are in for such a treat. I loved recording this episode and I know Astrid did too. To make sure you do not miss Maxine Benefit-Clark, make sure that you subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your wonderful podcasts and you will get Every episode of Anonymous Was a Woman in your feed twice a week. And while you're there, please take the time to rate and review us. We will be back in just a few days with Maxine Benneva-Clark. <laughs>